person now like as you are in this moment wherever you are at like you you are a complete whole person deserving of love and care and the way you exist is a completely valid way of existing and often a wonderful way of existing Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Special Interest Podcast. I'm Alex. Hey, and I'm Kylie. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today, we have a guest that we'd love to introduce you to. So today, we're introducing you to Olivia. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, it's like great to be here. This is like so exciting for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I am so like, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. Um, it was definitely something I like stumbled upon um, pretty early on in my journey of, of self-diagnosis first. And I was really looking for support because um, I had been exploring all sorts of things around, around autism, around ADHD, and was kind of seeing like myself like reflected in that a lot. And um you know, finding certain labels or certain ways of describing uh, certain things that really like resonated uh, with me and like my life and, and my experiences. So I kind of wanted to hear from people who have the lived experience um, about those things. And um, I think that one of the things that was helpful about like finding your um, podcast was like just hearing people that had sort of similar like speech patterns to me and like ways of talking about things um and going off on tangents and not feeling like you had to like um stick to one thing my my family always described me as like you never had you were like the best at non sequiturs <laughs> as a kid so I always used to kind of uh topic jump and things like that um, and I guess also like the main thing about me that I guess I wanted to share is like, um, my, the kind of the main thing that, um, I do with my life is all things music related. Um, I grew up in a really musical, very quirky, definitely neurodivergent family. Um, all of my family members, my dad and my mom play instruments. My mom plays drums a little bit. My dad plays uh, guitar and piano. Um, and I think for me, like it was really cool to um, grow up with that because I got like exposed to all of these different like types of music. And I, my dad, was really into like the Beach Boys and specifically the album Pet Sounds, which like kind of really resonated with me. I think that lyrically, it's almost like there's a lot of like neurodivergent kind of coding with the lyrics and a lot of like feeling like you're not sure where you fit in or like, where do you fit into this whole world? And where do, where do I find my place or my little niche? Um, and on honestly too, like I, I think this is a thing. This um, this is me topic 
kind of jumping again, but something that I kind of noticed a lot for um, like when connecting with and finding a wider um, like autistic community and stuff was this idea of, um, actually I completely lost my train of thought. I had a little note on it and now I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Um, where was I going with that? I'll get it back. <laughs> I had, I had a really a nugget of truth I was going to, and I completely forgot it. Um, but, oh, yeah, okay, I got it now. So, like, um, a thing for me that I kind of thought that everyone did um, was to explore a really specific topic and just stay with that topic for a really long time and want to get to the bottom of it and find everything you can about it and then look at it from different angles. Um, so when I started like reading all of these things, uh, primarily about autism, but then also about like ADHD and stuff like that, um, I fell down a rabbit hole of reading um, online like studies and things with like test subjects, but also so many things, so many books. I just went through like, I fell in love with reading again, just because of like discovering like oh wow I love reading anything I can get my hands on about autism and ADHD and stuff and I'm like I wonder why I'm like really good at focusing at this specific thing and I, I really don't get bored of it I don't know what that's about probably nothing um and uh one of the interesting things was um kind of flash forward in time to like eventually getting my diagnosis which I didn't get my actual like quote unquote, official autism diagnosis until like this year, I was kind of self-diagnosed up until that time. And then it took finding a, someone who worked with assessments of other autistic people who was um, non-binary and autistic themselves to recognize that within me, because I think that like, we know a lot about how autism presents in like cisgender white boys because that's what the criteria is based on and we know a little bit of what that looks like in women but we don't know like really much of anything about how that looks in queer and trans people unless you have lived that experience and this person who assessed me had like a lot of it was just how we related in terms of I got lucky and that they were like very affirming through the whole thing and we just had so much overlap and it was like just um just like a beautiful thing and it's one of those things that I feel like unless you're um an autistic individual yourself and stuff it's hard to explain to like holistic people that you're like I'm really excited about you know the fact that I now know that I'm autistic like that's great they kind of, they're kind of a little bit like, wait, what? They, they react like you have some kind of like a terminal thing or whatever. It's a very strange reaction to me. Um, but the, my, I think my brain will get le less loopy as this goes along, but my brain's a little chaotic <laughs> in talking about things. You're doing great. I'm loving it. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> um, should I keep talking about things or something different or I'm loving the way you're directing the conversation and like our interviews okay. are really all about you and like we want our listeners to learn about like all the different yeah the spectrum comes up so 
yeah, I'm I'm loving our conversation. Oh yeah. I also wanted to add that yeah. I am also loving the conversation. Like you are just so genuine and I'm really like <laughs> loving your just spirit and energy and the things that you're oh. talking about are so important. So I'm just like so glad that you're here with us and bringing light to that like thank you so much this is oh, this gosh. is awesome like we're, I'm totally relating to what you're saying and like this is just so cool <laughs> this is great too because I feel like um a lot of times with like neurotypical people it's it they have a harder time following my train of thought or I have to actively work to make my train of thought different but like with other neurodivergent people they just get where things are going and how fast the neurons are doing their whole firing thing and connecting <laughs> the little bits and pieces. Um, so like, I'm, I'm kind of like rambling a lot and a lot of different things I kind of wanted to like hit. But one of the things that I was really thinking a, a lot about was um, I, I feel lucky that like not every um especially like late diagnosed autistic person or just um, autistic people in general have the privilege of having like a supportive family. And I had a supportive family that was supportive without knowing it. It was really interesting. Like they didn't know that they were um, unconsciously accommodating like my sensory needs and things like that, but they just were, they just kind of like accepted. I got lucky in that they accepted me as like, oh yeah, that's just like something our, our kid does. And I, <laughs> I distinctively remember um, when I was doing my assessment and stuff, I was like gathering a lot of the information by talking to my parents on the phone or going to their house and just asking them like as much as I could find about what I was like as a, as a child. And I, <laughs> I remember um, my dad saying something along the lines of like, yeah, I remember this one thing where we would go trick or treating and I kind of just assumed you would want to like get all this candy and then like eat this candy, like a lot of kids I knew, but you really liked lining it up and photographing it. You would be like, Hey, do you have a camera? And I just found it to be like a really endearing thing. Um, and in a lot of ways, I feel like that shaped my growing up experience. And I, I also remember too, like distinctively um, talking to my mom at one point and she told me the story about how um, I was one of those kids who distinctively, when I would get like excited about something specifically, um, music or whenever I was engaged in any kind of creative thing it was like visible explosive excitement like I I did a lot of like the classic kind of hand flapping things and it was like really really interesting how I think where if someone had maybe like less supportive parents they might do the like a negative kind of thing where they would try to suppress that or be like no you can't do that that's embarrassing or this and that but um strangers would ask my parents about it and my parents would actually just be like oh yeah that's what they do when they're excited and they're, they're just like leave it at that and I think like that was one of the 
a thing that like as parents, I'm really grateful that I think that they did really well was just this like radical acceptance of like, yeah, our, you know, our kid's going to go to school and they're going to come home and they're going to like jump on my mom's like exercise trampoline, like for hours or swing on a tire swing before they're like willing to attempt any kind of homework or anything like that. Um, and also a big thing that I think I was grateful to have growing up was like my best friend was autistic growing up and a lot of the activities that we did together were essentially like parallel playing and I didn't even know that was what was happening um he was really into like video games and stuff like that and I was very into watching him play video games um so my dad would often ask like what did you do with with your friend today and I was like oh you know just like video games and he was like oh so you played video games I was like no I just stood behind him and watched <laughs> um and yeah that was a big thing for me and Another thing related to like with um, music, because music's been such a big part of my life, um, I think like growing up, um, I, a, a distinctive thing I remember from like early childhood and stuff is um, my parents had told me, they were like, oh yeah, we took you to a hearing specialist when you were a really young kid, because we thought that there was something wrong with your hearing, because especially in like so a place like New York City or a busy mall or something, I would just like cover my ears because it was just too much sensory input. Um, and they they did the whole hearing thing and they were like, no, your hearing's like totally fine and stuff like that. Um, and I think that when I really think about it all throughout, because um, I went to public school and it, I had a hit or miss experience, but all throughout that time, um, I kind of, was unwilling, like unknowingly sort of accommodating my own needs by like, whenever I, I would always go to like the library or like a quieter spot and I would always have like a playlist going or I always had earbuds or like headphones on me. And um, I would get home from like high school in like our backyard and stuff. And my parents remember like distinctively if I had a particularly like emotional day or a difficult day or something I would just go outside and like put in earbuds and just like pace back and forth for like a solid I don't know 40 minutes or so um so it, it's really um interesting to me now that um I definitely kind of approach um or I find it interesting I guess that no one uh, at the time kind of thought, especially given how well I connected with like my friend growing up, they're like, hey, you know, maybe your child is autistic. Um, and I think it's really interesting just how many like signs were there. And I think that's like a common experience of many late diagnosed people is like, you remember these distinctive moments or a lot of moments that you were like, I don't know what that was about. You now know what it was about and things just kind of like click into place. Um, and I think for me um, on the sort of on the topic of, um, of the intersection of like autism and gender identity, something that I found really interesting is that my autistic brain and my gender identity as someone who's trans, I think we're sort of intrinsically linked from an early age. I don't think you can separate them. I think that one of them actually really um, 
influences the other in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know the exact reasons for it, but one of the theories I have is just that, you know, like sometimes like autistic people, we have this like desire to not follow like social norms or what is like popular or like trends and things like that. And I think you can sort of extend that in a way to like the gender binary. Like I remember when I was younger and I never really had this, the hard thing for me was coming out to um, people in my life. Once I knew like I had been in school one day and I had learned what the word transgender meant. And then I kind of had this like moment of like, oh my God, that's like, that's me. That's a word from my experience. That makes sense now. Um, and I kind of just remember, um, that it wasn't hard for like me to come to terms with that kind of thing, like internally, it was hard to tell other people. I, because of, I think the, because of the way my brain was wired, kind of just accepted it pretty instantaneously because I didn't feel at first, like I only really needed to explain it to myself. And I have such a vast internal monologue all the time anyways, that um, it wasn't that all that complicated for me. Like I kind of just had a dialogue with myself and was like, okay, this makes sense. I'm gonna move on now. And I, I kind of realized that um, rather than, I think of like, transitioning as a continuum. I don't think of it as a fixed point in time. And I think that's like, connects to sort of how my brain looks at the world in a really kaleidoscopic sort of way. Like a lot of things are very, very fluid and very ever changing. And I think that's like, what I like about, I mean, there are certain things definitely I like to, you know, maintain the same and stuff like I'm not great at like the whole like oh uh sitting on a telehealth thing and getting a like oh we have to cancel this now kind of thing that kind of change not the greatest I will say but um changing as in like internal change and your sense of self um always being sort of shifting I think that um I don't really almost like think of my life as like a timeline where it's like pre-transition and post-transition. It's all just me. It's all just an extension of me. So it's not really like one begins here and one ends here. It's like there was this start of me as a person and now I'm somewhere along the space-time continuum of this and maybe someday I'll be here, but I'm just like taking the journey like a day at a time and following my own internal sense of self, which I think has always been so strong. Like that's like one of the most interesting things is I, I kind of think that um, my sense of identity and my sense of comfort in that identity changing, um, I've always like known really well. And I think that a common experience of um, late diagnosed autistic people is having moments where you could as clear as day feel like you're communicating some communicating something like verbally like so art articulate and clear and you still don't feel understood like you still feel like someone is not get they're not getting it and 
you have this moment of realizing like maybe they won't and for me like at first that or for a while that kind of made me feel this sense of like isolation and loneliness and it still does sometimes but it also makes me realize that they don't have to that there are certain things that I just have to understand how they feel within myself um and I don't really you know owe it to the person to explain it like sometimes if someone you know will um ask me or I haven't had it happen but I assume that if someone would ask me like in a line or something like waiting for you know a coffee or something like why are you fidgeting with a thing or why are you doing this and stuff I would probably just tell them like oh it's just a thing I do or I I don't don't really feel a need to like elaborate on it I feel like for me it's kind of just like I'm I'm existing I'm just existing as me that's that's what's happening here you're just watching a person exist um and um yeah that kind of went kind of went all over the place but um uh I don't do you have I don't know where to go from from that place <laughs> that was a, a long ramble hopefully not hard a hard to follow ramble <laughs> I was following you the whole time. Wow. Like even just from what you said, I had so many like connections of what you're saying, like, like mental downloads, Um, you know, like my experience is different than yours, but even what you said about um, like, I guess applying it differently to me, Mm. what you said about like, there was no like before or after there just is. And like, it's just me. Mm. And that really resonated with me so much yeah it's kind of I I think that the interesting thing for me is like I think there are like the process of of coming out as autistic and the process of coming out as trans or queer or any of the letters I I feel like there's so much overlap and there's it's a really interesting thing to kind of like compare and stuff because I feel like sometimes you know people have depending on who you're around have different you know or similar reactions to both things they'll be the same like type of like well why didn't I know this earlier why didn't I see such and such a signs and you could say that about coming out as autistic or neurodivergent in any way and you could also say that about coming out as queer or trans and um I think I think it's hard to explain to people in a concise way. Cause I think like, like I thought about today, I had this like thought waking up where I was like, if someone were to ask me like, what makes you autistic or something in like a, a clear, you know, concise way or something, I really wouldn't know what, what to tell them. I, I don't think there's a way to put that in one distinct sentence. I think that primary thing for me is just how I'm perceiving everything and how I like things are how things you know are hitting my body like I'm a radio antenna and how I process that signal and stuff is really what it's about for me I think um and um yeah I I just find it kind of interesting like um the, I think that something that was interesting for me is like a lot of the descriptions, um, even growing up with a 
uh, best friend that was autistic and stuff. So many of the descriptions of like w at the time or when I was first like learning about things, like I had, I had this idea in my head of like, well, I can't fit those kind of things because I was always told it looks like this. And like, I don't, I'm not into trains or I'm like, trains are fine. Public transportation is great and all, but like, I don't like trains aren't my thing. Like, I guess I don't fit the, the thing. <laughs> um, and then I kind of just like realized um, this, just how vast this like array of presentations and experiences can be. And um, I think that just for me, it was kind of like once I, once I started listening to more like and discovering more autistic um, creators and um, hearing first person accounts, um, a lot of things made more sense. And I think that like the internal, the how you feel internally was better um, communicated to me. Like I realized just how much of, of that experience can be like what you're feeling internally as opposed to manifestations that are outwardly expressed, although that's part of it for many. <laughs> um, I, I don't know where to go from this. <laughs> I had, it's, I actually had a really like linear, um, it's when I like was loosely prepping for this, I had a very like, you're going to go from point A to point B to this and that. And then my brain got too excited and it got too fizzy. And the, the, uh, the, the Coca-Cola got shaken up and sprayed everywhere <laughs> in my brain. Um, so I'm sort of riding with that the best I can. Um, I totally hear you. That happens to me all the time. I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this, this, and this, and it's going to come out so eloquently, but then I'm just like, yeah. ah, <laughs> I get too excited. Like yeah. the energy is just like, yeah, super fizzy. I like how you put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was wondering more about like your, your music and how, like, I know music is so tied into self-expression, so I'd love mm. to hear your experience a little bit with that and, like, how how that, like, feels in your body when you're performing. Like, that must mm. be so cool. Yeah. I want to, like, actually, like, pause and think about it for a second because I feel like it's something that is, like, might take me a minute to find the words to describe. But I feel like kind of... Well, there's definitely like, I know for me, something where I, I really feel a sense of like, like a floatiness and an airy kind of quality and just like, just kind of a pure explosion of joy is like getting to, getting to express emotions through a guitar and through playing a guitar solo in front of people. And it's kind of funny for me because I feel like um, I'm a definitely like a pretty naturally um, socially anxious performer. And I think a lot of performers are, and I find it interesting that I like to be in front of a crowd in a performing context. That's pretty bizarre to me. I, it's hard for me to like reconcile that. Um, but I think like there's something about how, um, like when I pick up a guitar and I've kind of always been this way with like my approach to to music and growing up in like a 
family that played a lot of instruments and stuff like I, I kind of just felt like an immediate like like a guitar being an extension of my body like I'm able to communicate certain things through an instrument that I cannot verbally and I think it's because there's just a limited number of words to describe the the feeling of like vibration and like sonic sound just like surrounding you and like really good sensory input like the idea of like like the texture of like clicking on a guitar effect pedal and like shredding a solo with like a big muff <laughs> overdrive kind of thing is like is like a full body experience or at least for me it kind of feels like this textural element like it's sound that is spiky like when I hear like overdrive it's like there's a spiky quality to it like there it feels like there's like literal like rivets or spiky bits just like on this thing and I think that um another thing that I just love about performing and 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 playing and stuff um and listening to music because I'm working on like recording an album right now um is this just the feeling of especially when you're recording something like the feeling of getting something down and recording it and hearing what you did come back um and hearing like seeing and hearing different layers of a track and a song come together and how they like fit in a sonic space and bounce off each other there's so much play in that there's so much like music is all about like playfulness and there's so much joy in that I think in just like oh this bass part is bouncing off of this and I get so excited by like listening to music and mentally with my brain just being able to like just focus on the bass part for this entire three minutes and 30 seconds like I can just pull out the bass part of it. And when you realize like just how much one element is doing and how all those elements fit together to form like a layer cake of music, it's like, it's indescribable to me. It's like such a just completely joyous feeling. That's the best word I can come up with for it. Cause it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's like eating, you know, some really good chocolate cake. I like just, wow, I love all the layers and how this fits together. The frosting and the sheet cake parts, but like them separately, awesome. But I could also just like scoop up this frosting and be totally satisfied. I feel like that, that is what I like about songs and music and how it all comes together. The way you describe things <laughs> makes my brain so happy. <laughs> oh gosh, yay, I'm so glad. I am loving it. <laughs> it's really cool to just like, this is why I really just like connecting with other like neurodivergent people too, is I, I feel like I, I'm like really in love with the fact that I can't like contain my joy in a more quote unquote socially appropriate way. Like, I want to feel like I'm like, you know, bouncing up and down. That's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, I love the way you talk about communication and being a radio antenna and yeah. like, <laughs> you know, the way you explained how 
sometimes no matter how clearly you convey what you're saying, you just feel like it's not going to be like your antenna is not going to receive the information. Um, Oh, yeah. Which do you feel like music has been a way for you to communicate with people? Definitely, Um, especially with the album that I'm doing, because I feel like I um, have been able to just like I felt more free to be very explicitly like referencing like terminology used within the autistic community and stuff like in my lyrics and within the in the music um I think that I think that that's been like something that has been really freeing for me and has helped a lot with like my own self acceptance and understanding um so I feel like I'm it helps me especially like autistic joy. I feel like music is such a direct, like, like those, like when you go to a bank and there's those tubes that you put like a check in and it goes like, like it's one of those things, but that's how I translate the joy that I'm feeling to other people and stuff. Like, I feel like that is the closest it gets to describing like what how I experienced joy, which I described during my old like assessment thing as like, oh yeah, I just feel like there's like soda fizzing inside me. Like <laughs> that's how I describe it. So I was wondering, cause you said books had been really important for you and you were doing yeah. And I was wondering like if you had any recommendations or if you found any books like to be really mm. influential. Yeah, um, there's a couple, there's a lot, um, but a couple that were really helpful for me is um, I know it's by two different authors and I can only remember one of them and their name is Yen Y-E-N Perkins, I believe. And it's called the um, the Autistic Trans Guide to Life. And it is written specifically about um, being trans and gender diverse and being autistic. And like a lot of, it explores a lot of the intersections of those two things. Um, that's really great. Um, I also like found really helpful. Um, I think it's Chloe Hayden's book, Different Not Less. That was also like such a such a good one for me. Um, this is one I'm reading right now. Um, there's one I'm reading right now that I think is like called like the, un- it's not the unmasked community, but it's something like unmasked. And that's really good. I also one that's like really, really awesome and really unpacks um, the difference between like the medicalized model and the um, the social model of disability in such a good way is um, neuroqueer heresies. I have it on my shelf. I don't remember. I think I don't remember the author. I have to look at it. But that's a really good one. That's probably like one of my favorites out of them. Um, that was super helpful to me and. Um, I tend to read a lot of like, I have a harder time with fiction for some reason, but I really like, I will consume nonfiction um, autism content like there is no tomorrow. Like I've, it's really interesting how much that got me back into reading. Like I'll just burn through a book, particularly if it's written by someone with like the lived experience. I'm like, I will eat this up. I also found books super helpful on my journey and I agree we actually take some notes so we have all the books that you recommended and we can put them 
into like a little list for our listeners as well. I'm okay. curious to check some of those out. And I agree that it is so like validating and affirming each time I read someone else's story and see like a piece of myself in each of them, even like having our interviews here and like getting to meet all of these new people that I've never mm. met before. It's like, wow. Like I just like, I feel like we become instantly connected when we're like in this space because it's just like, yep. we share mm -hmm. such a like vulnerable experience. I would say that we're mm. all like, just starting to like shed and unmask and be our authentic selves and so it's just like so beautiful to like be in the space and have you here with us and like get to really know like your heart because how else would have we had this conversation it's so it's just yeah I'm so glad that you're here with us um oh totally <laughs> no this is it's like that's like one of the the things I I just like love the most about stumbling onto your your podcast and stuff was just this like I I've just listened to so many and I don't, I don't mind them, but I've listened to like so many podcasts that to me just feel like very, very cookie cutter and very like structured in a way that is almost like too structured. And you just have this like natural flow. Like it's clear, like the relationship you have with like one another is so kind and loving and like genuine. And that comes through <laughs> like in the podcast, which I think is like what drew me to it was I was like, I feel like I understand the relationship between these people so well. And I feel like I, there's just so much care and tenderness there that I'm like, I just like need to, I will massively consume this now. <laughs> I'm just going to listen to everything. That is so sweet. Thank you so much wow. for sharing that. Yeah. Oh gosh, my so pleasure. The best compliment I've ever received in my life, <laughs> I think. Oh, oh. My <laughs> well, golly. <laughs> um, so I was wondering, like, since we are so big on like mm. community and making these connections with one another, what has been your favorite part since having all of these identity discoveries and being able to connect with other neurodivergent people? I think like, I think I, one of the things that I find the most, or there's a couple things, but one thing that was really rewarding to me was um, last, yeah, last summer, um, I got to play at like a local like pride event. Um, and at the time I, I had written a song like about, I had just learned, I hadn't even like, I had been self-diagnosing for a little while and I had just sort of just been exposed to like terminology that helped describe my experience. And I had written like a song ab about that. Um, and then I, I performed it at this, this pride event. And it was like, um, it was the fact that there were um, like autistic people there that were younger than me that came up to me and like expressed to me just like, I have, haven't heard a song with like my experience in it. Like you just like described my experience in a song and I haven't heard that like terminology in, in a song before and stuff. Um, and that was like a moment of like, this connection and and understanding and and also just like I think something that's really interesting is like because 
of just the vast array and variety of experiences on like the autism spectrum. Like every autistic person that I've encountered, even if they have like a vastly different experience from me and stuff, I do really feel this sense of like, at least to some degree, there's just like this sense of like welcoming, like quality and understanding. And I just feel this instant, like, I don't feel like I'm like sort of clenching my body inward against itself, which is sometimes like what I feel navigating um, the world, especially when you have the intersection of like being trans and being autistic. I mean, there's like a sense of like, sometimes that creates like a profound level of anxiety to deal with. Um, but when I get to meet other people who are like authentically moving through a space in ways that like feel genuine to them and stuff like that, I just, my body just does the same or it just starts to like relax into itself. And it feels like a form of like co-regulation or something almost in a way. And like doing that around other autistic people is like a really wonderful thing. Um, and it, it just makes you feel like you're kind of connected by some kind of like really long, like tin can telephone line or something. Like, I don't know why I'm picturing that, but like, it's kind of just like, it feels like this moment of like, hey, like, you know, I, I see you and you're here. And it's also this moment of like, it's a very similar thing with like seeing another, another queer person or another trans person like out in the world and not wanting to like, I've always, I, I've always like not known how to navigate it in some respects. Cause I'm always like, I don't want to draw attention to the person and make them uncomfortable and stuff, but there's like little micro movements and stuff and little like slights of the body and like side glances and stuff where it's like the smallest things can make such a big impact. And you just feel this sense of like, oh my God, like I, my experience is not the only experience like there are people like me out there and it's it's great yeah I I think for me it's just been like I I don't I think connecting with other people that are like me has just made me feel this sense of like I'm not like I'm not like a defective person I am a completely whole autistic trans person and that is such a nice like reframe. It's not always easy. It really depends. Like there are days where it's just like really difficult, but I think overall um, it's been nice to have that reframe and a new like point of view about myself. Yeah. Wow. So like it's that this is why it's just so important for us to all share our experiences with each other and have those spaces yeah. like you know, so much of what you say is resonating with my experience. And, you know, you have experiences that are so different than me that, you know, other people will be hearing about and kind of having that feeling. I love how you talked about the the tin can connection, because <laughs> I feel that so much like when I'm in and like, sometimes I might not even know, like I'm with another neurodivergent person, you can just feel it. Mm. It's so mm -hmm. cool. Um, yeah, one of the questions we love to ask, um, kind of changing gears a little bit is, do you have like 
uh, a special interest that you're currently very like focused on or is there just like one special interest oh definitely um I tend to have ones that I have one that is very like pretty long-term one that's been going for like many years at this point but I also have like little ones that pop up here and there but um the one that's sort of been like going for a really long time is um I love the um 2012 uh, Wes Anderson movie Moonrise Kingdom it's like ah it's it's it Oh God, I'm excited about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm like, also obsessed with Wes Anderson and like love <laughs> that movie. I like, I don't know how much I should go into like why I like it or should I like hold off or should I go more into that? I would or... love to hear about why you like it. Okay, so <laughs> sorry. I'm just like, it's, it's really nice to, to be like, oh my God, you actually want to hear that? Like, Yes. Um, ah. <laughs> um, so why do I like it? It's such a multitude of reasons. Um, I think like one of them being that the, at the time when I discovered the movie, I think I was like the age that the two main characters, uh, Sam Tchaikovsky and Susie Bishop were um, in the movie. Like they're playing like 12 year olds and I think I was like the same age at the time. I don't remember exactly. I might've been like a little bit older and stuff, but I have often felt like, um, like I, if I'm interacting with someone or, um, you know, at a grocery store buying something or whatever, I have this sense of like feeling like I'm in like a movie of my own life. Like I'm watching myself do the thing. Um, and I think that like, a lot of like what I love about Moonrise Kingdom is it captures like genuine like young love and more just like a really deep kind of friendship and connection for another person without belittling it at all. I think it just like holds it in such a sacred place and a very real one, like one that is both has a degree of like innocence to it, but also is like, I think a very real depiction of like when you're to me when you're like a certain age and you're like from my perspective I think the two characters are very like neurodivergent coded in a lot of aspects in that movie they're they're very intense and I mean like intense in something that I saw like I see in myself like something that is like it was very validating to see that level of like intensity like um even though it was fictional um displayed like on screen I think that um I've felt that from like a really young age particularly because I would relate to adults a lot more <laughs> when I was younger and I'd be having these conversations with like people twice my age and stuff um and I think that kind of the thing that I love about that whole movie is like it is set into motion from the perspective of like a child from the beginning like from the opening shot of like dropping a needle onto a record that is a record of Benjamin Britten's Guide to the Orchestra of like children's music and it's like set into the motion you know that like you're watching the perspective of like okay like the kids are in control and I mean like kids in the broad sense of that 
world of that word um and it also just like the there's a scene in oh god <laughs> there's a scene in this movie where there's like this um the loosely it's like this khaki scout who's like a version of a boy scout and like Susie Bishop is like she's living with like lawyer parents and stuff and they run away together on this fictional island and they're in this cove and the cove was filmed in like um I think it was filmed in part of uh Rhode Island because and I know this because I like this movie so much that I went to the exact cove that the scene was shot at um, to, re to sort of recreate the same, because I really love the visual appeal of like Wes Anderson movies. So I wanted to recreate like the same picture and be in the same spot. Um, and the fact that um, you don't even really know till the end of the movie that how the movie, why it's called Moonrise Kingdoms, because there's a scene where um, Susie's posing like on this beach for like this painting that Sam's doing of her in like underwear or whatever. And it says, there's a little sign that says a mile 3.25 title inlet, which is like the name that the cove is given. And Sam's like mile 3.25 title inlet, like it's got no ring to it. You know, we should change it. Like what should it be? And then you realize that they name it Moonrise Kingdom at the end of the movie. And it's like this zoom out of this painting that I think it's supposed to be that Sam made it of this cove and like it's a perfect encapsulation like of of like their experience and this like journey and I just think it's really interesting how they in their minds they're 12 years old but they they know everything so exactly and everything both about their knowledge of themselves and also about visually how the movie is so exact and symmetrical resonate for me as like an autistic person. Like, it's just so like things have their place. And I like this, I never really understood this idea of like, well, I'm an adult and I know better than you. Like, I never, I never think that about people who are younger than myself as like even a 25 year old, like, I'm just like, no, like your experience is like just as real and just as intense in a lot of ways as like maybe mine is. Um, and that's what I think is so cool about that movie is it's nice to see this like role, rever role reversal of like adults kind of, you know, like having affairs and scrambling to find these kids and just like not knowing what they're doing in the slightest. Um, but professing that they do being like no I I you know I know I know more than you I've had this experience and stuff and I, I just think it's like such an interesting perspective that way and like the one part I also really love is that the music soundtrack both the score um by like Alexandria display or something um and also the score that is um from like a children's play production um, is like they play like the score themselves and the music itself is like a character in the movie like the music itself is a character like and it's it's so interesting how it's so dramatic and overblown when it's literally just these kids this girl who's in a like a pink dress and knee socks and this like boy who's dressed in this like 
just green. I mean, he's described as, uh, uh, you know, like our daughter's been abducted by one of these beige lunatics, which is like one of my favorite lines is just beige and lunatic. I love beige lunatic. That's just hysterical to me. Um, but I think just in a multitude of reasons, it's like one of those movies that um, it also inspired a song called that I wrote called Moonrise Kingdom about the movie, but also about how I use the movie to connect to people and how I, when I'm meeting someone and I can't really explain exactly like my life experience, I'm like, we should watch this movie. Do you want to watch this movie with me? And they just know more about me after watching it. They just get me better. They just will watch this movie and be like, oh, a lot of things make sense about you now. <laughs> and um, I'm really grateful, like I have it. And it's one of those things too, where I think like, it's, it feels like, like electricity to talk about like a special interest with people who like, aren't trying to immediately be like, oh my God, you're bringing up Moonrise Kingdom again. Like, do you have to quote that movie? Yes, yes I do actually, as a matter of fact, part of how my brain works. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. You mentioned that you've been, um, that this has been one of your special interests for quite a while. So mm. do you remember like your first time watching it? And when was that? Yeah, I think I do. Um, I, man, I was definitely like either 10, 11, or 12. It was somewhere in that age bracket, which is a wide age bracket. Um, but it was somewhere around then, and I actually found it by just flipping through a bunch of like on-demand channels at the time. I, I think it was like, I don't even remember if like things like Hulu or Netflix and stuff were like, they were like kind of just starting, I think at the time. So it was like one of those things that it was like random channels you would flip through. And um, I just like stumbled upon it and was just like transfixed by it. Like instantaneously, there was just something about it that like called me into it, I guess. That was awesome. I love how you brought up that music is a character in the movie. I've never thought about it like that before. And I feel like that's such a great way to describe it. I think it's it's cool how like um, I I laugh about there's so many moments in my life that I'm like and no and then I the punchline is like and no one thought no one thought to think I was autistic like and one of those is like being um, in college and taking a film class where an exercise we had to do was mark the timestamps of all. Um, non-diegetic music which means like music that is not happening from a source that you can see on screen like a record player like non-diegetic music could be like a soundtrack um and like you had to mark the entrance of the soundtrack and like when you didn't hear it again and I was like you know oh wow I really seem to love that I have a spreadsheet and I can go through this whole movie and mark specific timestamps of like this thing and it's like organized in this like very particular way uh I don't know I don't know what that's about <laughs> I guess it's nothing <laughs> so I wrote about it for uh, a film class I guess it's just kind of been this undercurrent that's been with me in a lot of 
parts of my life and stuff, which is really interesting. And I think it's also interesting that I like, um, special interests are so important too, because I think for me, even like, um, even just quoting things or specific scenes just really like regulate me. And there's one thing I did like really briefly want to mention about that movie and that I think, I think the best scene and the scene that I think is really the most important in that movie is there are two quotes. There's one that is, um, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about, which I think it, it just really sums up like when you're trying to explain your experience to maybe someone who's like close to you, who's like a parent or a relative or something, and they're just not getting it. There's been so many times I wanted to be like, I love you, but you're, you don't know what you're talking about right now. Um, and I also think that um, something that just really resonates to me about Susie Bishop's character, she, in the movie, she always has binoculars and she's always using binoculars to look at various things. And like, like that, her gaze in a way, like looking through that thing to me is like a very good sort of representation of how a lot of autistic people and myself included just look at the details and stuff. Like she's looking at a deer among a field or like, like really like specific things. And I really like how she says, um, oh, they're my binoculars. It helps me see things close, even when they're not that far away. I like to pretend it's my magic power. And there's just something about that entire quote that just like kind of not literally, but metaphorically like punches me in the chest. Like it just gives me such a specific feeling that like describes my life experience in a lot of ways, but also doesn't like I, I know that the you know person who wrote the dialogue doesn't know anything about me but like I heard that for the first time and that was like something that in a very abstract way I was like that's it that's that's what it is for me it's like you know and meeting so I think sort of like meeting other autistic people too feels less like I am you know, using binoculars as a tool to get close with a person. I just feel like I'm there. Like I'm already at the magnified place like that you see in binoculars, if that makes sense. I love that. So I haven't seen that movie in a long time. So I'm definitely wanting to like rewatch it with this new like perspective. But you cool. like, I, I was remembering it as you were talking about it. And I was like, oh yeah, so that, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to like, give another rewatch. Um, at this time, I wanted to give you any more space if you were interested in sharing anything else about Moonrise Kingdom, or we have like just a few last like wrap up questions whenever you're ready, though. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, um, I am down to do I feel like I hit all the points I wanted to hit about that. So I think I'm down to do those wrap up questions. Yay, awesome. <laughs> So our first question to, <laughs> not first question, but our next question is, mm -hmm. what advice would you offer to someone who has just discovered that they are autistic? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, I think that, I think so. I think even before, like, 
even before like find your community and stuff like that I think the first thing I would say is just like you are a whole person now like as you are in this moment wherever you are at like you you are a complete whole person deserving of love and care and the way you exist is a completely valid way of existing and often a wonderful way of existing that's so beautiful and what a like really important message too um another question we ask which for you I kind of feel like I have an idea but what is your autistic glimmer like something that just fills you with joy like a big thing or a small thing sort of um or any anything (laughs) Ooh, anything um I think like I mean I'm very much I'll probably be when I'm older I'll probably be like a quote-unquote crazy cat lady or something because I love I love cats (laughs) um so like a cat purring is like a glimmer for me or like getting to feel the texture of a cat's fur is like the coolest thing it's it's so neat (laughs) I love that so much that's so true and like (laughs) I like feel like music like when you were talking about it I could just I could feel the joy so that's why I was like I feel like maybe I know but um yeah on like such a simpler level I love the cat purr that's (laughs) so nice definitely and our last question is, where can we find you? How can people connect with you? What's your social media? How can we listen to your music? Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, I guess starting with my music, um, you can go to my website is uh, com. O-L-I-V-A-N-I-E-D. Um and I, I have like where I'm playing next and some samples of my music and a song from my album when that actually does get finished up. Um, and I also have an Instagram that is at Olivia Need uh, Music Official. And it's an Instagram. And what else? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, um, I'm very much like you can, I tend to be pretty slow sometimes to respond to like messages and stuff, but if people want to message me, I will respond in a, however long that takes. And, uh, I am like, <laughs> I almost am like, just don't call me like a, a call would be the worst thing in the world. I will panic and throw my phone. So <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, yeah, I, that's that's kind of what I have at the moment um and my I'm sure my album I'll put it on the site called Bandcamp too once I eventually get that out and I uh can definitely share that when it gets up there Olivia it's been so wonderful having you on our podcast (laughs) as a guest I've had so much fun and I'm just wondering if there's like any anything else you want to say to our community or any hurting words Oh gosh, just, I mean, I guess the only thing is just like, it's kind of circling back to the fact that I'm just like, I, I'm kind of ecstatic that I'm even talking to you both right now, just because of like, uh, all of that, just like listening to like, 
like I was driving to a show rehearsal um, in like Worcester, Massachusetts and like listening to like one episode of your podcast, like the entire way there, it actually took me like the entire journey and stuff. Um, and to just have the like pleasure of talking to you and to like not to be talk to people where I don't feel like I have to like damper down or tamp down my like excitement is just like a joy. And the fact that you create that space for people is like, oh, like my heart. <laughs> I'm crying. Oh, <laughs> thank oh, thank you for saying that. That's so sweet. <laughs> oh, my oh, and like, it, it feels like even though we're like facilitating this space, like we're part of it. So like we're so grateful for everybody who's comes to the space and is, is a guest on our podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been such a fun time. Thank you. I I'm so yeah, I'm just I'm so excited to see the thing and or to hear it and also just like to get to talk to you has just been like the coolest thing honestly like highlight highlight of my week for sure <laughs> highlight of my week I was gonna say the same thing literally <laughs> right. I didn't know what to expect at all and that you're I I've only heard your voices and listening to them and you're like just as lovely to see and just as welcoming and I could go on and on, but. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Oh. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.